Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to our third Advent Sermon, Hungry in the House of Bread, Redeeming Love, by Rev. Ruth Boven. Friends, this morning it is the third Sunday of Advent, and so because we're in the book of Ruth, we're looking at the third chapter of Ruth. That can be found on page 411 of the Bibles in your pew. As you turn to that, I'll remind you that we've been thinking about a couple questions in terms of the book of Ruth. First of all, will Naomi's emptiness that we heard so much about in chapter one, will that emptiness ever get filled? And then secondly, how do we, with our own lives, live into the hope of the fullness of God? So those things are in mind as we now turn to Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So, She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as sure as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley. 
and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to the courthouse on this amazing day. Seventh Circuit Court Family Division Judge Patricia Gardner said, as she opened a hearing on December 5, during the Kent County Court's annual Adoption Day Thursday, 37 children, all coming from the foster care system, were adopted on Adoption Day Thursday here in Kent County. There wasn't a dry eye in the courthouse. That's so true, Judge Gardner said. On Adoption Day, there's so many emotional stories of how children come to families. One of those families included Michael Clark Jr. and his new mom and dad, who had been his foster parents for about a year, and on that day became his forever parents. During the proceedings, Michael expressed love for his new mom and dad, love for his teacher, and love for the kindergarten class that he was a part of, a class that he considered to be his family. Dozens of Michael's kindergarten classmates from wealthy elementary in East Grand Rapids were present in the courtroom that day to help Michael celebrate this great event. Now, many of you, I think, have already heard this story and perhaps know that the judge is part of our congregation. But what I love best about this story is that it's so Obviously, love that carries this story along. When Michael's classmates, as his case was being considered, held up dozens of paper hearts on sticks at the back of the courtroom, they were saying something far beyond what they could fully grasp. Those Wobbly paper hearts were saying, love carries this story. Michael's love for his teacher and his parents and his fellow classmates, and of course, their love, particularly his parents, for him. In that Kent County courtroom on Adoption Day Thursday, love carried the day. And while dozens of paper hearts at the same time declared that, indeed, it is love that carries all of the most important stories in our lives, including our story today. 
Reading from Ruth chapter 3 leaves little doubt that love is what's carrying this story along. I know for a fact that some of you are already wondering what in the world is really happening in this story, and you're also wondering how in the world are you going to talk about what's happening in this story from the pulpit? Well, first of all, let me affirm that if you think there's a whole lot of romance and even erotic love tension going on in chapter 3, you are absolutely right. I said love carries this story. But the question is, what kind of love are we talking about? What kind of love has the strongest sway in this story? I'll remind you here that the book of Ruth begins, of course, with Naomi's emptiness, with Naomi taking on bitterness as her very identity, believing that God had turned against her. And last week in chapter 2, we saw the impact and the importance of kindness, of extra kindness in the story that's unfolding between Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. But now in Ruth 3, a fire's been lit. The temperature on the threshing floor is rising, and we have a burning love story on our hands. But in order to understand the contours of that love, we need to dig a little. So back to the story. Perhaps as we read chapter 3, you notice that, that, Naomi, that Naomi is sort of returning to life again. The kindness that's been shown to her seems to have kindled some hope in Naomi. Enough hope for her to make a plan. A plan not for her own flourishing, but for Ruth's. You see, Naomi knows that the only viable option for Ruth's future is the one that she prayed for on the journey back to Bethlehem, for Ruth to find rest in the home of another husband. But friends, this is an exceedingly complicated matter. You see, in the patriarchal society, men usually fathers or brothers, make all of the arrangements for marriage. And even if Ruth had a man to speak for her, she had no bargaining power, no dowry, no social or political connection in this foreign place to make her an attractive catch. But Ruth did have this, and so did Naomi. They both had in them the kind of love that is able to carry a story along. It's called redeeming love. And one of the contours of redeeming love is that it works for the freedom and the flourishing of another person. You see, the plan that Naomi is weaving all along 
is for Ruth. Her thinking and her planning and her efforts are all about securing for Ruth a hopeful future. At the same time, Ruth is carrying out Naomi's plan all for Naomi. So that Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband's name and land, will not be lost forever. It's redeeming love that's burning inside both Naomi and Ruth. And that redeeming love came first from somewhere else. You know, last week, Reverend Yonker mentioned God's hesed, God's faithful, gracious, covenant kindness to us. Well, God's hesed and God's redeeming love are closely aligned because what they both entail is an active, selfless, sacrificial kind of caring that does for someone else what they are unable to do for themselves. Today, already in this service, as always, we have acknowledged God's redeeming love for us. In confession, we make ourselves vulnerable before God, and we name the things that we can't do on our own. We confess that we're fearful, that there are circumstances in our lives that make us afraid that our bodies and our financial security and our relationships seem so frail, and they are. We confess that we are broken, that we can't seem to shake our addiction to things like social media or other people's praise or to, some, or to substances that numb life's harsh realities. We confess feeling weary and sad, and maybe even sometimes a bit bitter. We confess that sometimes we identify with Naomi when she imagined that God's hand had turned against her. But as you know, as we said this morning, God hears our cries and he responds to our frailty by assuring us I see you. I know your helplessness. Your sin and your sadness and your grief and your circumstances and even your bitterness change nothing about my redeeming love for you. I have already done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I will soon show you the power of my redeeming love. Well, friends, the thread, of that, the thread of that redeeming love becomes even more clear as Naomi's plan unfolds. We haven't yet thought much about Boaz in our story. You know, Boaz in the book of Ruth is clearly a man of wealth and stature and power. And though our Western minds have also made him out to be some tall, dark, and handsome, eligible bachelor, what the writer most wants us to know about Boaz 
is that he's honorable. Along with his wealth and his rank and his power, he has the utmost respect of the entire community, which is important to note as the scene on the threshing floor steams up. Back at Naomi's place, Ruth is changing her clothes, likely setting aside the garments indicating that she was a grieving widow. She's putting on new clothes. She's getting soaped and perfumed for a close encounter with Boaz. Now, it's helpful to realize that Naomi's specific instructions to Ruth take into account the way that the flesh the threshing floor worked at night. The workers, at the end of the day of harvesting, would eat and drink together, right there amongst all of their harvested goods. Afterwards, some would find their way to a comfy spot to sleep, while others shifted their attention to the women, likely vulnerable women, who came to spend time with the lonely harvesters, if you know what I mean. But Naomi's prediction about where to find Boaz was exactly right. So after he had settled into sleep, Ruth did what Naomi told her to do. She snuck to where Boaz was sleeping and lay down near him. A Harlequin romance novel would have a field day with this scene. Low lighting, two eligible people, passion that's building, Ruth's heart pounding in anticipation of what will happen when she makes her next move. You know, I don't read Harlequin novels, but I suspect it's not typical that as passion builds in a romance, the uncovering of someone else's feet figures prominently. But that's what Ruth does. And it eventually wakes Boaz, who at first doesn't fully get what's happening either, until Ruth says who she is, calls herself his servant, and says, spread your cloak over me, which has way more meaning than what it sounds. You see, when Ruth asks Boaz to spread his cloak over her, in the Hebrew it reads, take me under your wing. And that phrase is significant. You might remember that in chapter 2 when Boaz was affirming Ruth's goodness to Naomi, he blessed her by saying, may you be richly rewarded by the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so now, what Boaz comes to understand is that Ruth is inviting him to act on those words of blessing. 
and to take her under his wings and marry her. And then wise Ruth adds to her request by reminding Boaz that he was the guardian or kinsman redeemer of Naomi's family, which means that Boaz is somebody who has the responsibility to buy back that family's land when they've lost it. And now because that responsibility isn't typically something that's beneficial for the kinsman redeemer, we can see that Ruth actually puts at risk the marriage that would benefit her when she includes and ties to that the land that Naomi so badly wants and needs. But Boaz also has the flame of redeeming love burning in him. And he lives up to his honorable character. And he does what he claims the God of Israel does. He gives sheltering wings to both of them, to both Ruth and Naomi. And in so doing, demonstrates to them and to us God's redeeming love. Friends, we believe that Advent is a time to face fearlessly our need for God's redeeming light, for God's redeeming love in our hearts and, and in our lives. And it's also a time to wonder how we ourselves might shine that light for others. It could be an action as big as taking a child out of the foster care system and giving them a forever home. Or as big as, big as taking off a football jersey for the sake of a friend. Or it could be as small as helping your parents do some of the hard things that they do day to day. But know this, whatever it is, in the hands of our great Redeemer, all of these things continue the amazing story of God's redeeming love. At the end of chapter 3, when Boaz plans for Ruth's safe morning exit, from the threshing floor, Boaz sends Ruth off with a gift. And I want you to sort of picture that gift with me. The author says it's six measures of barley, and we don't know actually how much that is. But this we know, that what Ruth carries home to Naomi from Boaz keeps growing. What a few chapters ago started out as one measure of barley has grown to six measures of barley. And I can imagine that as Ruth carries this bundle of six barleys home to Naomi, that it might feel a little bit like a bundle of joy, a bundle of a baby boy, 
which is not that crazy to imagine because we know there's a baby boy in Ruth's future, which leads to a baby boy in ours as well. The baby boy in our future came to earth from heaven to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He took on our frail flesh, our sin, our brokenness, and on the cross redeemed it, declaring that God had certainly not turned his hand against us. You know, those precious little paper hearts that the students held on Adoption Day Thursday, they'll one day fade and fall apart. But the eternal plan and story of the one who carries all of our faltering stories cannot be shaken. And under his sheltering wings, you and I will find our strength and refuge today and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you our thanks for the redeeming love that burns in us that comes from you. Thank you, Lord, for your sheltering wings. We find rest, we find refuge, we find strength under them. And Lord, may this Advent we continue to turn our face toward you, waiting for the gift of that baby boy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.